Do silent fireworks improve outcomes for animals? In episode 4, we asked why more men weren't vegan. Are we seeing a reaction already? And who's drinking all the plant-based milk anyway? Anyway, that's enough of the falafel. I'm Anthony. I'm Richard. And it's time for episode 8 of Vegan Week. Thanks for joining us for episode 8 of Vegan Week. We're here for the next hour or so to share this week's vegan news, views and discussion, but we can't do that alone, so joining us is, as always, my good friend Anthony. Hey everyone, hey Rich, good to be with you. I've just <laughs> I've just looked at our screen and I've, I've lowered my chair so that I'm close to the microphone, but it means you can only see the top half of my head. Anyway, <laughs> I'm falafeling on already, really happy to be back here as Ever. We've got a couple more shows with just the two of us, Richard and myself, and then as we approach the end of the year, we'll be joined by a few more guests. Remember, listeners, if any of you would like to join us co-recording the show, drop us a quick message via enough of the falafel at gmail.com. No prior broadcasting experience is needed, just a willingness to talk all things vegan for an hour or so. Anyway, on to this week's episode, you might have turned in today to hear us discuss the subject of silent fireworks and animals. Do they make a difference to animals? Should fireworks be banned altogether? And are there any limits to the fun that vegans can ruin for everyone? That will be our main discussion topic today, coming up in the second half of the show. Yes, but seeing as this is the Vegan Week podcast, we always make the first section of our show a rundown and commentary of our top 10 vegan news stories from the week. Right, enough of the falafel, let's get to it. Okay, we've selected 10 news stories that have been released in the last seven days or so, all of which relate to veganism, animal rights, or outcomes for animals. Yes, and this one is from Durham University. Climate labels similar to cigarette packet warnings could cut meat consumption. Yeah, so most of us, certainly those of us listening in the UK, will be familiar with messages such as smoking kills and smoking causes blindness and similar things like that alongside a graphic image on cigarettes. They've been legally required on all tobacco products in the UK since 2008. Now, these warning labels have, studies have shown, helped to reduce the number of smokers nationally. Authors at the University of Durham this week have released a study that found that graphic warning labels can also be used to cut the selection of meat meals. In their study, there was a drop of between 7 and 10% in the uptake of vegan meals when they described the consequence of meat eating for health, disease epidemics and climate change on the labelling or on the menu option. So this study asked 1,001 UK meat eaters, not quite sure why they chose that specific number, and they had to choose between four options for 20 meals in an online questionnaire. Participants had to confirm their preference by clicking an image of a meat, fish, vegetarian or vegan option for meals, including burgers, curries, lasagna, pasta bakes, that sort of thing. Now, when no warning label was presented, participants chose the meat options about two out of three times, so 64%. However, this figure dropped to 54% with a pandemic warning label, 55% with the health warning labels, 
and 57% with the climate warning labels. So, Rich, this got a lot of coverage this week. It's been featured in a lot of places. Do you think this is a sign, maybe, that, that things like this could actually become mandatory in the future? I'd like to think so, but I'm not sure government would pass regulations asking for all these companies to put label warnings. I'm not so sure about that. Not this government, I'm, that's for sure. No, nor the Spanish one, or, well, <laughs> not, not the United States. But yeah, I think it would help. It did with tobacco. I know many people, I smoked myself many years ago. I didn't pay much attention at the images, but I know some people did. So it will be good to see more of these things. Now, I don't know. I think it's a bit of a shame that we're just focusing on the environmental side of it. Well, I, I well, I mean, to be fair, it, th- there was um, zoonotic diseases and um, and health as well. But w- we are definitely skirting around the fact that uh, for every meat product, an animal's life has been has been ended, hasn't it? That's that's the main issue as ethical vegans we'd focus on. And I, I guess from my point of view. It didn't drop it to zero. Like you say, with with the smoking labels, it, it hasn't stopped people smoking. It has decreased it slightly, but it's not stopped it. So it, it's probably a case of, you know, it's, it's helping a bit, though, isn't it? It could help a bit. Yeah, it it will definitely help a bit. It would be good to have, like, the tobacco. It, it's not about the, the environment or it's about anything else. It's about health. And still with health, people were still smoking and many people still vape nowadays, which I don't know if they have the same sort of warnings as tobacco. Not sure about that. No, but I don't know. It would be good to see also the health effects on people. Like, come on, you, we all know that... Processed meat and red meat are linked to type, are classified as type A and type B carcinogenics. So it would be good to have three warnings, right? One for the animals, like, is this a factory farmed animal? And don't get me wrong, you all know me by now, I'm not a welfareist, I'm a, an abolitionist. But, you know, just acknowledge, yeah, the life the animals had and the, an animal has died for you to consume that, the environmental impact and the health impact. Yeah. I mean, just coming back to something you said there in terms of like, oh, we we all know this. I think most people won't. And I think just having little reminders like this in in, in whatever way, it, it, it really helps. I um, For my sins, I ended up on GB News looking at, at, at some of the coverage of this. And the presenter, Eamon Holmes, was really quite passionate about that. Um, he was kind of saying that the government's lying to us. It's not telling us that these things are carcinogenic. They're not telling us that these things can be really bad for our health. And it really surprised me to, to hear somebody on what I, I think I'm right in saying that GB News is quite a, a right wing leaning news organisation. And so I think just kind of chipping away at these things, it's it's not going to be that the main argument I'm ever going to put forward for things. But actually, if we can approach these things from lots of different angles, we never know who we're going to influence. We never know what effect it's going to have. I, I certainly wouldn't discourage it. For what you're saying, I think the government should think about how informed do we want people to be? Because this is freedom of information and this is how inf- how informed should people be when making choices. And if we live in a free world, which we are, we should let people decide on their own and but give them the information they need. That certainly would be nice, wouldn't it? Let's, let's aim for that. Are you happy to move on, Rich? Absolutely. Our second story of the day is from the Vegan Society and it's about something we spoke about in episode four. Over 40% of men say they are interested in a vegan diet. 
Yeah, so this is research uh, that was published by the Vegan Society on World Vegan Day, the 1st of November, um, or if you want to look at it a different way, the start of World Vegan Month. If you didn't know, November is World Vegan Month every year. Hooray! Happy World Vegan Month, everyone. So the Vegan Society published this, cards in the post, Rich. They published this on the 1st of November, and their survey showed that 41% of non-vegan men in the UK, that, that they asked anyway, have expressed an interest in going vegan or have said that they are planning to go vegan in the future. Now, this percentage is more concentrated in younger age groups with those aged 25 to 34, more likely to say that they have some interest in adopting a vegan diet. Of the vegan UK population at the moment, only around an estimated 37% of men, according to the Vegan Society, which is a lot higher than we were reporting a few weeks ago. So like we said in that episode, this kind of data, it changes all the time. So it looks like things are heading in in a more equitable direction. The research also revealed that many non-vegan men said that they were unwilling to give up eating meat. And that was their reason for not adopting a vegan diet. The survey also showed that 30% of non-vegan men cited health and nutrition as a barrier to going vegan with specific concerns over nutritional deficiencies as well as lack of energy or an impact on their long-term health. I mean, Rich, I I was pleasantly surprised by this, that 41%, that's more than I would have thought. That's more than I would have thought. It makes you wonder why they said they wanted to go vegan or they would consider going vegan. I mean, I was surprised. I thought it would be less people. I'd like to see the the age brackets in which they of the total study, because it seems that younger people are more likely to be open minded about going vegan or adopting a, a vegan diet. Also, what surprises me a lot is the the reasons people give not to go vegan, which are like. Mm. Going back to the, our previous story, like people should be informed. We we need to give them the information. Yeah, absolutely. It, well, it, it it in a sense it lays out the next steps quite clearly for those of us wanting to advocate for more men to to have a a more plant based diet or to to take on a vegan identity, doesn't it? Although we could sit here, you know getting really cross about, oh gosh, all these misconceptions people have. Isn't it frustrating? Well, no, it, it tells us what we need to do. It's just continuing to spread information, education, and, and just having those conversations, I guess, isn't it? Yes. And also, it would be nice to see this across different countries, right? Because now we have the UK population. What about Spain or the United States? Or am I saying always the same countries? <laughs> Germany, the Netherlands. It could be surprising, you know, or even China, because we don't think much about Southeast Asia. Mm. And the, in the majority of cases, they're plant predominant. So mm. a big part of the, the calories they intake is... Um, come from vegetables so it would be good to see their view on it yeah and an interesting thing there would be actually in terms of people's consumption it might be more like you say plant predominant but that doesn't necessarily mean that people think that eating meat is a bad idea it might just be that culturally or economically people are are, are not doing so but i think the more surveys like this the that the vegan society can can do and and other similar institutions that the better it's like you say it's about being informed we'll put um links in the show notes the vegan society have released a a whole sort of package this month called vegan thriving oh sorry vegan and thriving and it's its aim is to dismantle any negative views when it comes to veganism and masculinity showing that that veganism can be a form of strength and compassion and that anyone can be vegan and thrive so 
yeah, more on that perhaps in the future. Should we should we move on, Richard? Yes, another survey, and this one with interesting findings from the Food Institute. Who's drinking alternative milk and why? Yeah, so this is like a consumer report that's come from the Brightfield Group. It's their Q3, if you want to use the business lingo, 2023 survey. So the survey showed that in the past six months, 60% of females purchased milk alternatives compared to, interestingly, 39% of males. Now, that's going to sound a bit confusing because they both almost add up to 100. But just to be clear... Of all the women that were surveyed, 60% of them happened to buy some milk alternatives. And of all the men surveyed, 39% of them happened to buy some milk alternatives too. Females also led the consumption in that 74% of them indicated that they were buying the products for themselves. They weren't just the ones doing the shopping for the men, just for clarification. When it came to brand recognition, this is where you'll hear that it's definitely an American study, Silk was the most familiar name in alternative milks with a hefty 69% of consumers referencing it by name. Oakley was second at 14.3%. Califia Farms, Blue Diamond and Planet Oats were also in the top five. So what do you think the main reason consumers cited for their purchase? Well, I'm afraid it's not because they were vegan or interested in compassionate living, anything like that, unfortunately. Across the board, digestive health is the primary reason that consumers incorporated milk alternatives into their diet, with Gen X and baby boomers being the strongest drivers behind this sentiment. Both Gen X and Gen Z are the most likely to have lactose intolerance concerns, while millennials predominantly seek variety. That's that's what they're after. I, th- I think I'm a millennial, but I'm I'm never sure about these these terms, to be honest with you. Um, so variety I'm was not a factor. even that. Yeah, you're not any of them. Anyway, so how many of them did identify as vegan or plant-based? Place your guesses now. The answer is 4.8% of total respondents made this claim, which placed it as the lowest reason for buying oat milk out of all all the different reasons. Um, By generation, 7% of millennials were were vegan. Gen Z, 6.3%. Baby boomers, 4.3% and Gen X, 2.7%. So, Rich, what do, what do we make of all of this? It, I mean, is, is it great that loads of different people are buying alternative milk, or is it just a bit deflating that, that so many of the people who are drinking it aren't actually doing so for, for ethical vegan reasons? I mean, on the one hand, it's always sad that people do not do it for ethical reasons, but the cow doesn't care. So mm. I think it's great news. And you know why? Because I think if people that are not vegan are switching to plant-based milk, that's half of the battle. I saw somewhere that the uh, lactose intolerance is on the rise, not only here in the UK, but also in many Western countries. And we know Asian population, it's in general lactose intolerant. So this, uh, and that's how Oatly started. Oatly started because of uh, allergies and intolerances, mm. and that's how they got started. I think it's great news. It shows that people are shifting from cow's milk to alternative milks. And probably one day we won't even call it milk. When we say, what's milk? We'll go to Wikipedia and we'll say, oh, that's what people used to do. That's uh, (laughs) cow secretions 
that we kept on a fridge and drank. Oh my God, what's that? So yeah, I see positives. Yeah, I, th- I think I'd have to agree that my first instinct is, oh, <laughs> veganism was the last reason people chose. I don't know, it's a bit of a slap in the face, isn't it? But behavioral psychology will show us that actually people don't change their mind over something and then change their behaviors. Conversely, it's the other way around. People will will behave in a certain way and they will generally change their minds to fit that behavior. And if you're already using a product that happens to not involve cruelty from an, from an animal point of view, at least, and then someone says to you, by the way, you know that milk that you're buying because you're on a low sugar diet or because of whatever reason, there's also an added benefit that it it doesn't involve artificially inseminating a cow and and taking its calf away from it and and all that abject misery isn't that brilliant and someone's going to go oh fantastic oh well i'll definitely keep drinking it then in in my head that happens anyway (laughs) yes and that that what you're saying is the reason why i think people will stop calling it milk in the future because it will if if you think about it as a substitute or as a meat substitute you know we substituting something that we crave we have in the past and we want to have the same taste and the same sort of thing in this case probably people are not doing it to substitute milk they just like it it's just better for them it it this will end up being oh do you want soya drink or something i know what i'm saying is a bit controversial because it i do defend the right of these companies to use the word milk mm, yeah absolutely. it doesn't come from an animal however moving away from the concept that we're substituting it for something that tries to imitate it will be a good thing in the future. And last thing, I think it would be nice to have studies like the previous one that are not only in the US, but in other places. I know it's difficult. I know it involves a lot of research and, and lots of money, but wouldn't it be nice? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's our takeaway from the first half of the news, isn't it? More studies, more data. All will help us um, work out how to shift the culture to a, a more compassionate one, eh? Yeah. Okay, this one is from Taiwan, and it's linked to the plant milk. From Taiwan News, Research and Development Center for Plant-Based Milk established in South Taiwan. Yeah, so Taiwan's Ai Wei Drink Company and the Food Industry Research and Development Institute have announced a partnership to develop plant-based milk products at a research centre in Chiai County. So the signing event for the Plant Milk Research and Development Centre was attended by Chiai County Executive Wen Chang Liang, who said that the research centre will boost Chiai's economy and help Taiwan develop competitive and sustainable supply chains. Really positive sounding stuff, isn't it? They already produce some plant-based milks, Wei, notably a range of oat milk drinks, which are already available at most Taiwanese convenience stores. The company hopes to harness its expertise in the drink market alongside the plant scientists to produce healthy plant-based milk products for the world. So they're looking further afield than Taiwan, which is exciting. The Plant Milk Research and Development Centre is supported by the Ministry of Economic Affairs, so it's got government backing, and its initiative to drive innovation in key developing industries. Reports indicate that the goal of the research centre is to enhance Taiwan's supply chain for the manufacture of plant-based drinks from raw and semi-processed 
agricultural products. Another major goal of the centre will be to use biotech to create nutritious milk substitutes that are high in protein. I mean, Rich, it's, it's great to see that across the world, plant-based food innovations are seen as necessary developments. It's not just in one part of the world. It's not just, oh, if you fancy it. People are seeing this as a real imperative, aren't they? Absolutely. And did you know that Taiwan has one of the best vegan products I've ever tasted? Um, I'm lucky Which is? To, it was sort of soy, dried soy, flavoured, textured slices. Uh, I don't know how to describe it really because their <laughs> culture is a bit different from ours. Yeah. So the way they cook food is different. But I yes. know that I know a couple of people from Taiwan. One of them is vegan, and I tried some of the products from Taiwan, meat yeah. substitutes and other things. It was delicious. And you, 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 you sometimes get uh, think about is it because I'm not used to this and it's like new flavor for my. Yeah. for my palate or is it because it's really genuine good but I thought thought it was brilliant and seeing that they've been able to do such good alternative products or vegan products I would not be surprised if they make an excellent job of creating new plum milks so yeah I'm, maybe we should go there what about well, going there yeah yeah maybe maybe uh, although part of me having listened to the last story is thinking that actually there's going to be a big queue outside the factory, but it's full of people who are wanting the plant milk for their gut health. They're not particularly interested in uh, in the animals or anything, but it's, it's good development, isn't it? Farming-related news now. From Farming UK, sales of veterinary antibiotics in the UK at lowest level ever recorded. Yeah, so from the headline, it's not immediately obvious why I've included that in in this week's show. Um, I guess my thinking was that this affects outcomes for animals because it's antibiotics that could be consumed by animals, as well as for public health. So figures are showing that the sales of antibiotics for use in food producing animals fell by nearly 10% in the last year. So not a massive drop, but a drop nonetheless, and that they've more than halved since 2014, so quite a significant drop over 10 years. The total quantity of antibiotic active ingredients sold in the UK was 193 tonnes, which is the lowest sales to date on record, that is. The CEO of Veterinary Medicine's Directorate, Abby Seeger, said that antibiotic stewardship was embedded in UK farming, but that she was encouraged that vets and farmers continue to make reductions in their antibiotic prescribing and use. Now, Catherine McLaughlin, the chair of the Responsible Use of Medicines in Agriculture Alliance, said that the UK livestock sectors should be proud of their work to date on tackling AMR, antibiotic microbial resistance. The results demonstrate that the voluntary and collaborative efforts from UK livestock sectors in the responsible use of antibiotics is achieving positive outcomes, she said. Rich, as vegans, we might be loath to say well done to animal farmers for anything because of obvious reasons. These numbers, however, do seem to point towards that one of the downsides of animal agriculture seems to be lessened. Would, would you agree with that? Or am I just falling into the Farming UK PR trap? I think what they've said makes no sense at all. 193 tonnes. I mean, what's the scale of that? Yeah, and yeah. after we say, oh, we need, we have antibiotic resistance, or drugs should be cheaper, blah 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 blah. Have you ever had to put some antibiotic on an apple, or kale, 
or anything mm. like it. The only reason animals need it is because of how they're kept and how they're raised. So it makes no sense what they're saying. No, I don't think we can extract from this that it's declining for any reason in a specific. There's been avian flu and they've had to kill millions of birds. So we don't know if they're, it's because people are consuming less meat. We don't know if it's for other reasons. But certainly, I'm not happy... Unless animals are free, I'm not happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly we can't be complacent, even if, even if we're acknowledging, oh, okay, over the last ten years, antibiotics have been used. It, it, the, the usage has dropped by a half in in that time. There's still, like you say, nearly two hundred tons being used. That's a lot, and that's still a threat, isn't it? And it it doesn't mean, like you say, that other public health issues relating to animal agriculture are fine. Zoonotic diseases are clearly still a a threat and a problem. Yes. And come on, let's go back to basics. Can you imagine what what happened to chickens 200 years ago? Did they need antibiotics? We didn't even have antibiotics yet. So why do we need them for animals? We we need to start seeing how the narrative that they they are showing to us makes no sense. And we need to get, you know, go to the higher up level of call it consciousness or abstract thought and really reason why why do we need to give them that do they need them in the wild no so they can say what they say they can say what they want but it makes no sense to give them antibiotics it doesn't help anyone certainly not the animals it creates antibiotic resistance and it just helps the pharmaceuticals at the end of the day, right? So, yeah, no, I'm I'm not happy with this. No, 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 I, I don't think I was suggesting we should be happy about it. I mean, if if I could finish this story, at least by, by saying, I think it is important if we're advocating on behalf of animals and we're having conversations with people about stuff that is going on day to day in these industries, that we are kept up to date. Because actually, I, I can imagine myself having a, a conversation with somebody um, about antibiotic microbial resistance and someone saying well actually did you know that usage of it is halved over the last 10 years and if i didn't know that that could actually catch me out and i go oh oh god oh no oh, they've, they've caught me out there whereas whereas actually like you say rich if that if you already know about that and you've already reflected on it and thought yeah there's still 200 tons being used though and it's you know all the reasons you've said it's just about being as informed as we as we possibly can be so we can advocate as as effectively as we can i think yeah okay i think we are down to story number six and we'll stick with animal agriculture for this one from canada's national observer animal rights activists go to court to strike down ag gag law yeah i love me a little protest and if you follow the link in the show notes to this story you'll see a, a great picture of lots of animal rights advocates outside a Toronto courthouse on Monday last week voicing their support for a lawsuit filed by animal justice against the so-called ag-gag law. So this law prohibits animal rights activists and journalists from conducting undercover investigations and filming animal cruelty at farms and slaughterhouses. If you listen to episode six of the Vegan Week podcast, you'll have heard us referring to a story in the US where the ag-gag law was successfully challenged by Peter. 
So that was in America, but obviously this is this is in Canada. So animal rights advocates are still having to argue this. They're, they're saying that the Security from Trespass and Animal Safety Act violates the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The arguments in the case began, like I say, on Monday last week in the Ontario Superior Court. So here are the words from Camille Labchuk, a lawyer and executive director of animal justice who's explaining why the group has gone to court. She says undercover exposés inside farms and slaughterhouses are one of the only sources of information that the public has regarding how animals are treated on farms. There's no transparency about what happens behind closed doors. Now this act was enacted in 2020 in Canada which increased fines for individuals trespassing on Ontario farms and making it illegal to obstruct trucks carrying animals to slaughter. Now, on its website, the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs say that the law upholds the right for people to engage in lawful protests on public property as long as these protests do not pose harm and are conducted safely, which which sounds reasonable, that perhaps might not find much to object in there. However, the ministry goes on to state that the Act provides additional safeguards against the specific risks that arise when individuals trespass onto farms and agri-food processing facilities, or interfere with the transportation of livestock. They're saying that these risks encompass potential food supply contamination, the creation of unsafe working conditions, stress caused to the animals, and the introduction of diseases. It, it sounds like a load of old rubbish to me, if I'm honest. That, that are we really saying that the Supreme Court is worried about all oh, potential food supply contamination? Oh, oh, there might be stress caused to the animals. Uh, load of old rubbish, isn't it, Richard? <laughs> That's the most stupid thing I've heard in a while. I must say it. <laughs> and you've so been talking to you... me for half an hour this evening. I know. I know. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, we're talking about factory farmed animals that go through unsufferable pain and stress. And, oh, there's an activist there that will cause them even more stress. Let's not do it. No, this is a clear, for me, violation of the right of people to know. Yeah. And, and what's not clear here? is why the same argument that that Peter were using in the US a couple of weeks ago, i.e. the fact that journalists need to share this stuff so that they should, they should be exempt from this, it's unclear as to why that can't be done in Canada. I mean, may, maybe that's what the lawyer acting on their behalf is going to argue, that it's like, like you say, freedom of the press, people need, to, people need to see these things from a journalistic standpoint. I mean, here we need to think about is the right to private property higher than the right to know? And I think the answer here is, yes, private properties, I know I know they've put it in a different way, but anyway, is important. However, the need for people to know what's going on with products they consume, let me use products even if it hurts, I know we're talking mm. about animals, is higher than private informa- private property or, you know, so... And let's face it, probably if they do that, there won't be any enforcement for welfare or good enough from the government anyway. So I think it's appalling the fact that people are denied the right to know what happened behind cl- behind closed doors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that there are brave activists out there who will who will continue to do things like this, no matter whether there are 
laws in place. I mean, under this law, you can get fined for up to $15,000 for a first offence, up to $25,000 for subsequent offences. And and actually, Ontario's got quite a history of opposing this sort of stuff quite a lot. If you've followed the, the animal rights movement over the last 10 years, um, a lot of controversy in the, the Toronto pig save and a lot of stuff in, in that part of the world, there seems to be a lot of backlash. So hopefully that uh, this can be pushed through and and there are a, a bit more reasonable freedoms for people to just show what's going on. It's, you know, no interference, just literally show what's going on. I think that's all people are after, isn't it? Yeah, and just to finish, I think the proof that people would really respect these companies is if they had a policy of open doors. Let's show people what happens. I mean, it makes no sense to send little kids into a nice farm where there's plenty of space and look at the sheep and the pigs and all this, but we deny entry to factory farms. That makes no sense at all. No sense at all. Yeah. Although I did I did think it was quite interesting a couple of weeks ago when we had Kirsch on the show and she was talking about actually people not seeing these things d- does actually, in a sense, make you more sensitive to it and make it seem more shocking when you, you do catch a glimpse of it. So there's there, there can be arguments but both ways. It, one thing is if you want to see it and the other thing is the right for you to be able to see it. Yeah, yeah. It's two different things. Anyway, on to story seven. From Vegan Food and Living, Vegan Animal Sanctuary Facing Closure Due to Financial Hardship, Putting 200 Animal Residents at Risk of Homelessness. Yeah, things are always financially tight for animal sanctuaries. And one has got into the news this week, the sanctuary the Dean Farm Trust, based in the UK, currently has 200 animals in residence, facing risk of closure due to financial hardship. The animal sanctuary, situated just outside Chepstow, so just on the border between England and Wales, is home to numerous animals, including ex-battery hens, rescued donkeys, and a pair of pigs saved from the side of the road amongst others, it may be forced to close. Now, in a bid to continue operations and ensure the safe future of its residents, the Dean Farm Trust has launched a Save the Sanctuary campaign. According to the organisation, it requires monthly donations of £14,000 to feed and care for the 200 animals in its care. And it's calling on animal lovers to donate as little as a pound a month to help it reach its target. According to the sanctuary, it's worked hard to raise extra funds this year, but it's facing extra hardship as a result of the cost of living crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic. Rich, this is so sad and it's it's something, like I say, it will be affecting all sanctuaries, that um, COVID and the cost of living, won't it? Yes, and I've personally been to this sanctuary two, twice, mm. two or three times lovely people they have a beautiful place for animals animals are happy there you can see them as they should be free Mm. and it's a very 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 sad news um what makes you wonder makes you think is how on earth does a normal let's use the worst norm word normal although i know it's not right normal farm that raises animal for me cope with the costs Mm. because it seems to me like if they get funded by the government. This sanctuary should be funded also by the government, or at least in the proportional part. Mm. So it's very sad that they only rely on contributions from people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we'll put a show uh, a link in the show notes for for how to donate, or you can just bash into a search engine, Dean Farm Trust, or indeed any animal sanctuary for that matter. They they'll all be having things squeezed tight at the moment. 
Another shocking story now from the Animal Reader. Australia to kill wild horses by aerial shooting. Yeah, this is one of those, when you see the headline, you're kind of going, what, what on earth is this on about? So it's not, not the first time it's happened either. So the government of Australia has decided to start shooting wild horses from the air in the Koshuko National Park. There are about 19,000 wild horses in this park. Um, It's in New South Wales and the government of New South Wales wants only 3,000 horses in the park in four years time. They've been trying to control the horse numbers by catching and moving them. However, they're needing to or they're deciding that they need to go more extreme than this. They are also shot from the ground but the state's environment minister Penny Sharp has said that they need to kill the horses by aerial shooting because local plants and other animals are in danger I, I don't know why doing so from the air is is it more accurate or, or that that wasn't clear but anyway she said this was not an easy decision no one wants to have to kill wild horses in 2002 the government shot more than 600 wild horses over three days but the method was soon banned after a fierce public backlash however, Some conservationists are saying that these horses destroy native plants, as mentioned earlier. The unique and complex ecosystems of the Australian Alps have been trampled for too long, said Jackie Mumford, head of the Nature Conservation Council, an environmental group who back this cull. She said that brumbies, which is another name for these wild horses, activities damaged fauna species, including the iconic corroboree frog and the broad-toothed rat and rare alpine orchids. Now, Australia has up to 400,000 feral horses, according to the Invasive Species Council. The conservation group supports the decision to resume aerial shooting. Rich, it's just a car crash, isn't it? Like they're saying, oh, it's it's going to damage some frogs, it's going to damage some plants, so we're going to go up in the air and shoot these wild horses. It's, it's baffling. I thought humanity started in the Rift Valley, so probably mm. humanity there, or people there are also an invasive species, right? Well, quite. Don't get me wrong, I don't want harm to anyone, but this is just plain stupid again. Makes no sense. How is it possible that we have pet stores all around the world selling animals from other places? And because we believe we're gods, and we believe that there's too many animals around and we think the numbers on a spreadsheet suggest that this would be better for the environment well better for the environment would be do not eat animals do not pollute do not use plastic come on why we we play to be gods and we decide who who has to live and who has to die and i think that's terrible yeah I, i i do agree with you i try to put myself in the position of the environment minister and and think well what would i do in that position and i have to say i i wasn't sure what the answer was actually because you have you have got species that are are being damaged by these wild horses i i, I certainly wouldn't advocate for them to be shot of course not but it's um it's a it's a situation that humanity has created isn't it and i think that's the difficulty we're, we're, we're trying to we're trying to put something right that we've done wrong but but then in so doing we're doing another thing wrong yes but if you have created the problem you don't find the easiest solution. You find the best solution. Mm. There's ways of doing this. You don't need to kill them. It might be more costly, but if we are responsible yeah. for bringing an invasive species to that country, maybe we can neuter them like we do with cats. Yeah. And yeah. you might argue, oh, it's very difficult. Well, you've created the problem. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. Just find a way, be sensible about it, and stop killing animals in the way you're doing it. 
Yeah, well, I mean, my only hope from this is that twenty years ago people opposed this, and it was it was outlawed within three days. So, um, hopefully, people's compassion hasn't uh, diminished in that time. Obviously, we'll report on anything we find out about this story in the coming weeks. Yeah. Okay, let's move to story number nine. And following the news from the Animal Reader, let why don't we move to a bit of a lighter story? Yeah. So, from the Hampshire Chronicle, military chef. Gather at Worthy Down for Vegan Masterclass. Yeah, so a, a gathering of military chefs at Worthy Down. This is the second time that the Humane Society has provided this forward food training for the UK Defence Food Services. Uh, so chef instructors took part in a masterclass on creating plant-based canapes, having previously received training in deciding nutritious vegan main courses and how to market those menu items as well. As I said, they they were mentored by the Humane Society's Forward Food Brigade, I suppose, led by Chef Jenny Chandler, who ran interactive demonstrations on depth of flavour and food texture. Sounds very interesting, doesn't it? The Humane Society said, It's really encouraging to be working with the armed forces responsible for serving millions of meals a week to tri-service personnel and that they are willing to equip chefs with the skills to meet the rising demand for plant-based options. Putting more plants on plates helps reduce demand for factory farming, which is vital both in the race to meet climate targets and to stop the suffering of millions of animals. Now, this is my favourite bit, this contrast. So that's what the Humane Society had to say. Now let's hear from the Catering Development Warrant Officer with the Armed Forces. Diets of choice are growing in popularity. With an increasing demand towards nutritious plant-based foods, the chef instructors must enhance their skills in order to present the offer to service personnel. The training we have received was excellent and plays an important role in helping us to remain current. I just love that contrast. It's so typical. So the vegans going, yeah, this is great. Animal suffering has been reduced. Hooray. This is a fantastic move. And then the person who's not yet vegan responds by ignoring this stuff about animal welfare and goes, yeah, yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's really, um, really nutritious food and it helps us stay up to date and, and just doesn't mention animal welfare at all. Still, nice story, isn't it, Richard? Nice story. It's a nice story. And this proves that people do not change their choices by what you want them to change. Yeah, yeah. Or what you wish they would change for. It, they just change because they see... Uh, an advantage like i think slavery didn't stop because of ethics it stopped because of economical reasons i think probably so, lots of reasons but yeah oh yeah lot of lots of reasons so the outcome is important and the outcome that they're serving more plant-based foods and they're learning how to do it at the end of the day you want people to be healthy contribute less to the environment or contribute more to the environment and less animal suffering. So I think it's good. But it's, as you say, the contrast is quite quite clear here. Yeah, but well, like, like we've said in several stories this week, it's just about changing the culture, isn't it? Which takes time, but uh, good to hear it's even reaching the Ministry of Defence. Absolutely. So we're down to story 10. Our tradition is now for the last story to be um, news about the coming releases. So this week from Plumbase News, Christspiracy, the spirituality secret, explores the link between animal ethics and religion. Yeah, so this is from the co-creators of the hugely popular vegan documentary series Cowspiracy, Seaspiracy, What the Health, you'll have seen these films, I'm sure. And 
The co-creators have announced that they have a new film in the works called Christspiracy, the spirituality secret, which will explore the link between animal ethics and all religions, so not just Christianity, as the title might suggest. The film has been described as equally ambitious to its predecessors, which all explored the impacts that animal agriculture has on our health and the environment. The new documentary sees the filmmaker Kip Anderson team up with Cameron Waters and attempt to answer one question – is there a spiritual way to kill an animal? Now, during a six-year investigation, Anderson and Waters travel to four continents and explore the issue of animal ethics in the context of five major religions. The filmmakers conducted in-depth interviews with people from these religions and took part in a number of meaningful discussions. Now, there's not a release date for the film, but the creators are currently fundraising to help them bring Christspiracy to as large an audience as possible. Their Kickstarter campaign is aiming to raise more than 300,000 US dollars to enable them to maximise the documentary's reach worldwide. Rich, what are your feelings on this? I've I've got mixed feelings, I have to say. Really? I, I don't. I think I trust them. I've seen all the films they've produced and I think they're really good. They're very accurate. They're very, I don't know, covering the topic. So I, why do you have mixed feelings? So, so I'll just quickly respond to something you've said. I have enjoyed the way that they've produced their previous films. And I think they, if you're coming to the subject matter for the first time, they give you a nice narrative that you can follow. And it's dramatic as well. So it works really well. There have been certain things that they've been shown to exaggerate, or they've certainly presented certain statistics in a way that make them look more extreme than they are. I'm, I'm not doubting the underlying motivation which is to promote animal rights but I just wanted to kind of challenge that thing I think what I'm wary of is that whilst in seaspiracy and cowspiracy we're, we're challenging farmers and uh, people in the fishing industry we're challenging their jobs and their way of life but I feel like uh, with religion this is something that is deeply ingrained, far more deeply ingrained in people's lives and has been for hundreds, thousands of years. And so I think it needs more tact when you're communicating with people about it. It's at the end of the day, like if if animal farming became obsolete, that would be a shock to people who've been farmers for generations. Um, and for some of them, it would be a, a massive, massive shock to their core and they could just get another job and it would be a big culture shock for them but to, to, you can't just say to someone just change your religion it says the wrong thing and I know that's not the purpose of the film but I just think when we're talking to people about religion we need to understand how deeply it underpins people's lives that's my understanding of it and I should say I'm atheist myself so in a sense I don't know what I'm talking about but I think more tax and sensitivity is is, is probably a good idea okay I understand what you say, and I don't know the the approach they're going to take with the film, but I, I know a bit about Christianity. I'm not a big believer myself or believer myself, but I had to study it at school and I've seen different... What's the word I'm looking for? I've seen different versions of uh, the Bible. And they're different, you know. You can find different versions of the Bible, and some of them do say, do not kill in a way, people, blah, blah, blah. And other ones say, well, do not harm any animal. So yeah. I can understand, yeah. for example, and, and the certain approach that you'll say, well, yeah, your religion does not ask you to kill animals. Yeah, please don't get me wrong. 
I think examining the relationship between religion and animal ethics, I think is a really important subject matter for us to approach. And actually, if we're animal advocates and we want animal liberation, then we've got to address that at some point because that's where a lot of our moral code has kind of been descended from, even if you and I aren't following it from a religious point of view now, like a lot of ethics originally d derived from, from a lot of these texts or can be linked to them. But I think what I'm saying is for us to be effective animal advocates and the way we communicate with people as we've said in previous shows like we need to build bridges and we need to foster understanding and connection between people and i don't think the way to do that is to release a film called christ spiracy if i'm a christian and, and i've i've no knowledge or understanding of veganism and you're releasing a film called Christ Spiracy. You're blending the word conspiracy with my religion and my way of life. Is that going to build a bridge? Absolutely not. I'm going to be like, who the hell are you? What do you think? Well, I probably wouldn't say who the hell am I, would I? That would be the last thing I'd say if I was a Christian. But like, I wouldn't blaspheme. Would you watch like, the film? What? No, I, no I, I think a lot of people wouldn't. Because you'd, you'd be saying, "What? Well, how dare you? Like, you're just attacking me. You don't know me. You don't know how I live my life. You don't know my religion. Like, and you're releasing this this film that's blending my way of life with the word conspiracy. I just think, obviously, they want their film to be successful and, and they want it to get some press around it. And unfortunately, the way that we do that in 2023 is we say something controversial that's polemic and it divides people. And I'm saying that that may well get Kip Anderson, a nice paycheck. But actually, I think if we genuinely want to have a, a meaningful discussion and connect with people, then we don't do that by firing a shot at them and attacking their way of life in the title of a film. You okay? <laughs> I'm passionate about it. I don't know. I just you, you, that... I thought I thought our last story was a bit lighter, you know, like a new release and all this, and it's come. This is controversy now. Yeah, I, I've I really. I really think the subject matter is important. I really think it is. And I think that's why I'm a bit cross that just having seen the trailer, heard the name of the film, that it's dealing with it in quite a tawdry, tabloid, sensationalist, hyperbolic way that is just going to turn so many people off. I could be wrong and I hope I'm wrong. And you're atheist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but I want every Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu to come round to a more vegan culture and to harm fewer animals. And I don't think the way we do that is by slapping them around the face and go, it's a conspiracy. But hey, okay. it's worked for them in the past. So what do I know? I think we'll come back to the topic. I think Anthony and I will just watch the film um, yeah, and if definitely. he can still talk after shouting so much during the film, we we'll, <laughs> might do, you know, a little recording of our thoughts about this this documentary. Oh, definitely, it's definitely. It's called Christspiracy. Whether you like it or not, it will be called this way, <laughs> listener. So, yeah, let let us know your thoughts once you've watched the film. By yeah, the way, well, I'm not promoting it. I'm just saying there's no, no. a new release for this film. Well, I, I mean, we are we are informing and letting people know that it's out there and that's important isn't it and i'd be i'd be really interested in in hearing from the enough of the falafel community out there listening like 
what are your thoughts on this? Am I being completely over the top on this? Um, and, and just with regards to any of the news stories that we've covered this week, like, is there anything we've missed? Is there anything we've got completely wrong? As always, like, let us know your opinions. Is Christspiracy going to see a holy war declared against the animal rights movement? Do we need pictures of floods and people dying of health conditions on packets of beef? And are you, like me, just a little bit sad that hardly anyone is buying oat milk for the same reason as your fellow Vegan Week listeners? Indeed, we'd love to hear from you. And just a reminder, if you spot news or articles that you think would catch our interest, get in touch with us by email at enoughofthefalafel at gmail.com. We're also at Enough of the Falafel on Facebook, Instagram or TikTok, where you can get a little sneak previews of the news we're covering in each episode. And Anthony has promised he'll start posting on these platforms again this week. Already done it, mate. Already done it. Okay, this week we want to discuss the use of fireworks and the effect they have on animals. Many countries and cultures use pyrotechnics and fireworks for big celebrations such as New Year, Diwali, Chinese New Year or San Juan in Spain. Unfortunately, the loud noises cause significant injuries and thousands of deaths every year. Most of us have seen the images of hundreds of birds falling dead in Rome on the New Year celebration of 2021. And in 2011, more than 5,000 red-winged blackbirds died in Beeb, Arkansas. We now know that it causes severe distress on animals and humans, leading to some manufacturers to produce what's called silent or low-noise fireworks. As yesterday was bonfire night in the UK, we thought it would be a good time to ask ourselves, should we ban the use of fireworks and are silent fireworks saving animals' lives? Anthony, have you ever gone to a firework display and if so, have you seen firsthand the effect on animals? Yeah, I mean, I've certainly been to, to many fireworks displays. I, I would say most most years in my life I've attended a fireworks display at that at this time of year as well as well as new year and things like that in terms of seeing the effect on animals not when i've been at a display i've definitely been in at least one household with a dog on bonfire night where there's been fireworks going off in the neighborhood and i've seen the effect on the dog in fact a a family member i was speaking to the other day and they were saying that they they have some medication that they always give their dog on bonfire night in the uk because it helps calm them down it seems to lessen the effect of of the noise so i'd say i've seen less of the effect that's more something that i've heard of and to be completely honest which I think it's important to always be uh, with our listeners, if we weren't doing this discussion topic today, I probably would have been looking around with my partner saying, oh, should we go, should we look for a bonfire night display? Should we look for some fireworks? But actually, the fact that we're doing this episode made me think, oh, do you know what? I, I probably ought not to be supporting this really because it it's just very well known now. The effect that it has on on animals, isn't it? I mean, that's that's something that's been growing in awareness the last five, ten years. I don't think you really heard about it. Well, I certainly didn't ten years ago. I was completely ignorant of of people really thinking that it it caused animals a problem, or 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 even if it did, even if it was causing a bit of discre- distress to to dogs at home. 
I think people overlooked it, whereas there seems to be a big, big move in the last few years to kind of change these things as evidenced by, you know, the the, the capitalist free market will always respond where there's a problem. And, and that's why we're seeing these low noise and, and silent fireworks, I guess. Is that your perception, Rich, that that this is something that the last few years has really become at the forefront of people's minds? Um, I'd say maybe in the UK, not in Spain. I don't travel that often now, but I remember I've been to loads of them in Spain. And I don't know here because it's been quite a while now since I've not gone to a display or used fireworks myself. And the reason being is because I, I really didn't like the noise from a very early age. So I did like the fireworks. But in Spain, you have like, I won't call it a bomb, but things that <laughs> you just throw and they really, really, really cause a big um, explosion. And many yeah. people lose their fingers in Spain or lose, um, I wouldn't say a limb, but they they lose parts of their body, let's say, because of, of this. I used to visit Berlin every year because it was such a great hotspot for vegan food. And I started going at New Year and it is terrifying in Berlin at New Year because during the day... For the two or three days around New Year, people are launching fireworks in the middle of the street without warning. You can just be walking past one. I walked around a corner with a friend and like a firework just like flew at us. And and that wasn't an oh, isolated yeah, incident. There. It happens all the time. It's, it's absolute madness. I couldn't believe it. And bearing yeah. in mind, Berlin at the time was being very well publicized as a place where lots of Syrian refugees were, were fleeing because of the war. I was thinking this is this is the last thing like a, a a war refugee needs is just all these explosions going off at random in the middle of the street. So it's it's human animals as well as non-human animals that that have problems with fireworks for sure. Both animals and humans, and you can see that, for example, in Spain, which I was saying, which it's crazy the level of noise that they produce an explosion. Kids cry. Kids cry. Yeah, yeah. I used to cry because of it. So I think probably here in the UK, people are a bit more looking forward, or there's a bit more of a movement against the fireworks or, and the noise they produce that in Spain. But I've seen both the effects on animals and an animal mm. death, or at least I think it was because of that. And yeah. the, the, the effect on ourselves. So I think probably it's more a UK thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, w- I will also add, add to the anecdotes that this summer... I went to a silent fireworks display and it was absolutely rubbish. Honestly, I, I, now I'm sure from an animal welfare point of view, I'm sure, no, I'm not sure, I would imagine and I would hope that there were fewer unfortunate, unwanted incidents of, of animals being injured, scared, traumatised by the loud noises. From a spectacle point of view, it it just was pointless. That, that There was no point doing it. But let me ask you, because maybe not not everyone knows what a silent firework display is. So we're talking about it's the same concept. You just light something, it goes to the sky, it produces the same amount of um, light or or shape or whatever, but it has either no explosion, so no sound, 
or very low sound. Yeah, so th- there is a difference, I-, I believe, between sort of low noise ones and silent ones. But I th- there's it's one of those things, because it's an emerging field, there's no regulation, so you can call it silent and it's not silent. You can call it low noise and no one's going to check. Um, I've had a silent blind. I've had a silent blender. That my God, that was loud. <laughs> yeah, well, pro- probably if you're close up to these silent fireworks, they're just as silent as your silent blender. But there, there was, if, if we ignore animal welfare, just very temporarily on the Vegan Week podcast, the the silent display just was really lacking, and and it. it, it basically wasn't worth doing from not just from my point of view like everyone else that was was watching seemed to have the same opinion it was it was very underwhelming however putting my uh, animal rights hat back on i would choose that every time in fact i would then just say well there's no point doing it then is there but then then we have a problem if we're going to say that if the vegan standpoint is we'll just stop doing fireworks we are then saying this part of culture is deeply ingrained it's been going for on for hundreds of years and is generally widely enjoyed the vegans are saying stop and that that's a problem then really isn't it because we are literally the party poopers but you've just touched on two or three things that i think we need to explore and are very important yes one why is it so satisfying i think that's very important to analyze because I, for example, I do not enjoy noise. I'm a person that loud noises cause me a lot of stress. And yeah, I curse every time there's a motorbike with a hyped exhaust just going down the street. I get very nervous and I, I, I can feel the stress. And surely animals that have a much better hearing range than ourselves will find even that more distressing. So I, I do not understand and I'm genuine about, I do not understand why that noise is so satisfying. I don't know. I mean, I, I have a similar thing with theme parks. I, I don't understand why people go on roller coasters, but I acknowledge that lots of people do. And there, there's perhaps a, an adrenaline response or something like that, isn't there? I, th- I think part of it, it uh, which I hoped was the case when I was watching this silent show, is that everyone is kind of sharing, they're, they're, they're gazing up, they're looking up into the sky, which some people can find sort of quite spiritual or, or, or satisfying experience. And, and we're sharing in the beauty of the colours and the blah, blah, blah. But, but probably the bang just, I don't know, it, it, it adds something to it, doesn't it? So I'm assuming... I've not really, I've not really come a, up with an answer there. <laughs> don't worry, but I guess it would be the same concept as it, when you go to listen to a concert. You love the guitar, you love the piano, but you need some sort of percussion and you like the drums or you like something that adds to the song itself. So probably it's about the same concept. It's just, it's just about the volume or, or the amount of volume but the sort of frequency of the noise would be what causes some excitement in ourselves, let's say, or causes that yeah. sensation. But however, yes, but I mean that that doesn't excuse it for you know if it's terrorizing animals, it's just, in a civilized society that that needs to come first, doesn't it? It's, well, it's that's just the a second no-brainer. point. That's exactly the second point, Anthony. Now, the second thing is we as humans put not our necessities, but our pleasures before anyone else's. And surely animals, because I I can think 
oh yes, I know the fireworks. And don't get me wrong, many people do not know the effects. Uh, if you have pets at home, mm. you might notice they're a bit more nervous, but not that many people know that a lot, hundreds if not thousands of birds die. But of course, it's the same concept as saying, yeah, I know uh, an animal, a chicken's being killed, but gosh, they're so tasty. We're putting mm. our pleasure on a higher level than the right for other beings to live or live in peace. I, I think we are, if, if you kind of look at things in a, in a holistic way and you look at all sides of things, I think generally people live their lives in a way that they're not always looking at the, at the bigger picture in the background behind things. And I think in a sense, the fact that fireworks are quite an unusual thing to happen, you might see two or three fireworks displays in a year um, in, in this country, I would I would say. It, it, it's not it's not something that we're going to examine particularly closely whereas eating we do three times a day so we're we're going to over the course of a year we're maybe going to question that a bit more I, I don't think I'm really making sense here I think what I'm getting at is you could be so excited that it's it's fireworks night it's bonfire night in the UK and it only comes around once a year and so that is that is guiding your excitement and you're, you're focusing on that and you're not necessarily focusing on anything else. I, I, what I'm saying is, ha, I've got, I've got to the nub of it. The fact is I don't think people are going at the moment. Animals welfare is not my concern. I'm going to watch the fireworks anyway. I don't think our level of awareness is high enough yet in this country anyway, that it's really registering for people. No. But I think the more campaigning that is done, and there are some great websites out there and great social media accounts out there that do that, the more traction that gets, the more then I think people will will start to to question it. But it, unfortunately, I, I think there are some people that will just conscientiously stop doing something and not replace it with, with something else. But because we are social beings and we need community and we need culture just opting out of something very often isn't the best way for us as humans we need to replace it with something else otherwise we're just completely opting out of society and and i i think that's where silent and and low noise fireworks kind of have their marketing point but i'm just skeptical about them not just because i think they're rubbish but i think they will probably still have still have a significant effect on animals because I think if they didn't, if it was kind of like, a oh, this this silent firework is so effective that no animals will ever be killed by it, well, that would be all over the marketing for it, wouldn't it? But they're not making those claims because they can't make those claims because, of course, animals are still at risk. Of course, they're still going to be traumatised by bright flashing lights and from the pollution that's caused from them and the chemicals that are released. Like, of course, it's still going to affect animals. So I, I still don't think that's, to answer our question, the, the show title, are silent fireworks saving animals? Well, statistically, maybe fewer animals are harmed, but it's it's still harming animals at the exp because of our desire for a, a frivolous pleasure. Gosh, I sound like a grumpy vegan. Wow. Um, <laughs> what to say to what you said? Uh, I think I've never been to a silent display so I understand what you mean, but I'd have to see it because it might seem to me like, yeah, there's something missing. Uh, I think you spot on when you're saying that you need to give an alternative to people because 
that's a very good point. You can't just say people to people, stop doing what you're doing because it's not good. You need to give them an alternative. If not, I mean, tobacco parches or, you know, how to stop smoking, that's how it works. And, and... <laughs> Well, I don't think people are addicted to fireworks. But, but and, and, and to be fair, I'm not, saying that, no, I'm not saying that rationally people always need to have a substitute provided. I'm just talking, speaking pragmatically. You know, we, we, are, we are social beings, we're cultural beings. And if we as vegans expect for everyone to hear our logical argument and then just stop doing what they're doing and not replacing it with something, we're being naive. Like our, our argument is so much more effective if we say, please stop causing the death to innocent chickens by paying for them to be killed. Have this thing that tastes exactly the same. But but is from plants, and then everyone's a winner. That's that's a no brainer argument, then, isn't it? Whereas if you said you can't have chicken, and nor can you have anything that ever tastes like it ever again, that becomes a harder decision for people, doesn't it? It becomes a harder decision, and it all depends on how strong your core beliefs are. Because, for example, mm. I could think, oh yeah, I'm vegan, and therefore I don't eat animals, I don't contribute to blah blah blah, but fireworks are once a year and come on mm. they're not harming that many animals but that's why i think it's so important to really stick to your values and i think what most of us do not do is have a look at ourselves from the outside and try to see you know like if you were in a in a theater and a movie and you're the actor if we had the ability to see your behavior from the outside, if it would make sense. And for most of us, regardless of our beliefs, it would not make sense. Because I, I would think the argument of, yeah, I only eat turkey once a year at Christmas, and I only go to fireworks once a year. It all depends on what mm. category you're putting there. If you're saying turkeys once a year, or, or is that food it goes into different categories so how you frame something is what will decide how you tackle that problem and if you just say oh it's a display of fireworks once a year but after you're complaining for example and i'm making this up that you can hear hunters shooting well it's the same concept it's noise so you you wouldn't say like and i know hunters go to kill an animal, Why? that's not the aim of firework. But I think it depends on how we frame things. Maybe we do have too much of acoustic or noise contamination around us, and maybe that's a good way of saying, oh, maybe we need to reduce the amount of noise we do. And therefore, you know, it doesn't only affect animals on a daily basis, especially, you know, bonfire night or Chinese New Year or New York City New Year. But it's how we frame things. And that leads us to think, okay, maybe I need to make positive changes to avoid, you know, contributing to those things that I know are detrimental, not only for animals, but for humans. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Yes, it does. I, I, I still think we we come back to the point that if, if it's a, a huge cultural event and you're needing to opt out of it and others are not opting out of it with you, then you're you're opting out of social interactions. You're opting out of those things, and that's that's difficult to do. It's um, difficult, and, and I guess I, I'm not, I totally understand, and I know that's the case for many people. But that's where you need to ask yourself: Is 
two hours of my life more important than the life of the animals that are going to die? And if you answer the question by saying, well, they're going to die anyway because I'm not going, you'll end up thinking the same way as, oh, well, it's just a little bit of chicken. or it's, uh, So I, that's why I think, and I, I know what this, I'm saying is very difficult, but that's why you need to stick to your beliefs. And, you know, I, I know it's difficult. Sorry, I know I completely interrupted to you what you were saying, so apologies for that. <laughs> no, no, it was it was valid. Yeah, I, I think I would find it a lot easier to to kind of stick to my principles on these things if if we had data, but it's it's very difficult to actually find any data on, on, on fireworks at all, actually, in terms of the impact that they have on, on animals. And lots of campaign groups have, have tried to get it, but especially for the alternatives there's no data at all on on silent fireworks or or low noise fireworks if there was a a clear difference between them in in terms of the impact that they were having then i i think as vegans we might be in a better position to say well has this display got noisy fireworks or silent ones if it's got silent ones then i'll go if it's got noisy ones then i won't we we'd kind of have a bit more to help us inform our decision whereas at the moment it, it's kind of all speculation isn't it and and actually these these low noise and and silent ones they're just they're just a capitalist response to a problem without necessarily anything backing it up i would i would say maybe i'm a bit cynical saying that but it i don't feel confident that if there's a a fireworks show down the road that says oh don't worry animal lovers we're using silent fireworks that that wouldn't be enough for me to just be like oh great i'll go along completely guilt-free because also there's going to be a hog roast there isn't there they're going to be selling beef burgers and stuff like that which wouldn't be happening if the fireworks display wasn't happening so maybe maybe we're just doomed to to just be miserable at this time of year richard other alternatives you told me about drones. Tell us about drones. Drones are amazing. I saw a display, I don't know if it was in China. I think it was because there was a dragon and the drones were moving, synchronized to form a dragon and they were changing colors and they were changing shapes. And I, I found that really satisfying because number one, it was just plain spectacular. Second, it yeah, was yeah. A, a new thing I was seeing and that got me thinking like, well, if we've been doing fireworks for centuries now, maybe it's a good time to say, yeah, that's part of our culture. We'll always remember you. Thanks for your contribution. But, man, there's a new technology here that's really amazing. And, yeah, yeah. I always put the example about horses and carriages and cars, but it's kind of the same thing. If something's better, you go for it. Do you remember those old phones that you had to dial by moving all the, the arrow and pointing in the right yeah, number. Yeah. Well, this is something that probably will, will not replace fireworks as fast as we want, but probably some, some for some celebrations, uh, they'll start saying like, well, why don't we combine some, some drones here? Well, maybe not combine. Yeah, not at the same start, time. No, because that would be like <laughs> even shooting the, the drones. <laughs> But uh, can you imagine? Yeah, that w- wouldn't be a good thing. So, I think so can great. I can I respond then? So I th- I think like in terms of um, resources, like yes, it it might be more expensive to start with to to set up a, a drone display, but actually then it's reusable, isn't it? Whereas one one of the things that 
kind of is a problem for me for fireworks is is you're, you're just blowing stuff up so it's it's not even reusable and that's a very good I've, point i will actually. look I, I i will look them up i've not i've not seen a drone display but um i can imagine it being very spectacular and, and people could program all sorts couldn't there the one downside that i would that comes to mind and and this comes from a bit of random youtube scrolling from my past but have you ever seen videos of when drones get attacked by birds yes but usually that's during the daytime uh yes but birds birds fly at night as well don't they um Especially I, when I, I don't fireworks know I, and they get scared and they do you did well, you know yeah. that they can go up to 5 6 and 700 meters just to escape the noise yeah, gosh. I, I read that and it's just, yeah, I'm going on a tangent there. Sorry. Go no, ahead. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's just the, the, the fact that, that drones can clearly disturb uh, animals. I, I don't think when birds attack drones, they're just doing it for fun and they're playing. I think they feel threatened, don't they? And they, you know, so it's, it's, not, a, it's not a completely, what phrase am I looking for? Because we share our world with animals, every action that we do, we need to be conscious of the impact that it has on human and non-human animals as well as the environment that we're in and drone displays would would have an effect on animals too my hunch is that it's it's a far better solution to fireworks to low noise fireworks to silent fireworks but it you know it i'm sure it would cause new problems but i think it's something that we need to look at because we have we have a need as as a society as a culture as a community to celebrate things to have shared experiences and and to celebrate in in beautiful things and create beautiful things it's not just about celebrating nature that's created for us or or well, in spite of us that we can enjoy it's we enjoy creating beautiful things and you know that's what art is that's what music is and i think that's partly what fireworks are aren't they so we we have that need but we need to we need to channel that need so that it is not needlessly, gosh, I'm saying the word need a lot, needlessly harming and indeed killing animals as a result. It's just it's just not okay, is it? Amen. <laughs> do you, do you, wow. do you want to finish off with, with anything else there, Rich? Like that seemed to bring things off to a, a close. It did, it did. I think, first of all, just to answer the question, yes, I think uh, fireworks should be banned. I think we'll find good alternatives in the future. I think you, well, you described it beautifully, so I don't have much more to add. But I'd say that probably we're starting a, a drone company for this place. If you want to hire our services, please leave us a message. Or if you are an investor, please do. Um, but yeah, every everything we do in our lives do have impacts on others, no matter if you're a human, no matter if you're an animal. But just being aware that your choices, the choices you make and the impacts they have helps you narrow down the amount of suffering you inflict to others. So I think even if you say, let's move from fireworks to drones, there might be an impact, but such as flying on an airplane or, you know, if you drive mm. a car and it's wet and there's some snails crossing the road, just by living, you have an impact. But just being aware and being conscious and making shifts in your choices to minimize it, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I would add is that like everything, 
it's um it's a calculated decision sometimes these things we need to as the phrase is we need to decide what hill we're going to die on and i i certainly wouldn't say that someone's not vegan if they go to a fireworks display because actually you, you might have a family who's who's desperate to go and and they're not in a position to be have these things explained to them and and i th- i think there are things that cause more harm to animals I, th- I think it's great if we can discourage people from from using things that that harm animals unnecessarily and the more we can do that the better but i yeah for, for me it's it's not an absolute black and white thing but we certainly need to keep keep campaigning and keep raising awareness of the impact that these things can have but yeah i th- i think if um if we can avoid doing things that unnecessarily cause cause harm and find other ways to to celebrate and acknowledge things and have shared experiences that's that's got to be the more evolved enlightened thing to do hasn't it a, a question to everyone listening um do do you think fireworks should be banned is it going to be another way that vegans get a bad name maybe maybe fireworks could be banned but without the word vegan being mentioned there's there's an idea uh do we need to modernize a little bit do we need to make things animal friendly let us know your thoughts we will respond to every email as usual and rich i'm going to stop talking because i can see we're at the end of the episode now so let's close things off thank you again for being with me here sharing your thoughts with us it's been grand i've had a lovely time You too, my friend. Remember, we'd absolutely love to hear your voices too on this podcast. Enough of the falafel at gmail.com is the place to send your thoughts, questions, comments and concerns regarding any of the news stories or anything else we've covered in this week's episode. It's enough of the falafel from us for this week. Thank you everyone for listening. I've been Anthony. I've been Richard. And this has been episode eight of Vegan Week. Vegan Week.